Hello, you are very welcome to the Inside Our Schools podcast, podcast where we put all the current issues around teaching in Irish secondary schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. It has been said many a time that older members of the teaching profession through those yet to come into the job under the bus in almost like a, a I'm a right Jack mentality. So we want to examine to what extent is this true or is it false? I suppose the best way to do this is to look back over exactly what happened back then at the time when the cuts were made uh, and since then. In part one, we go right back to 2010 and look at the origins of unequal pay, you know, how it was prepared through the Crow Park Agreement and then followed shortly after that by the actual cuts by the Minister for Finance. Uh, to get the knowledge and perspective of those who were in the, the union, I suppose, back then at the time, uh, we're joined by Mark Walsh, a computer science and modern foreign languages teacher, and he can give his perspective on, you know, what was being said in the unions at that time at branch meetings and so on and what were people saying. Um, and then we'd have the knowledge around the ballots at that time and what the, what happened. And then to get the perspective of a lesser paid teacher, we're joined by Christopher Davy, who's a physics and science teacher. And he can give, you know, his idea looking back at that time and what the impressions to him are of that time and, and how he feels uh, about the whole situation. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please do subscribe. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify uh, and on Google Podcasts. And you'll be kept up to date with all the latest episodes and all the latest discussions that we are having. Another reminder before we start um, that all the participants, including myself, uh, are representing their own views uh, and not the views of their trade union or school or workplace or other. It's just their own personal uh, view. Um, So we just want to remind everybody uh, of that. Uh, So lads, thanks uh, for coming in and having a chat. I suppose this is is one that I've wanted to do for a while. and every time you look at social media, especially like just recently in, in the building momentum deal and previously to that in, in the other deals, the Haddington Road and, and the Crow Park and anytime new entrants pay and we say new entrants, but of course it's 10 years now. So it's not mm. really new entrants. It's lesser pays teachers. Um, you know, every time that, that comes up, you hear that the trade unions and the teacher unions through the, the younger members of the union under a bus uh, are, you know, they, they pulled up the ladder and didn't allow them to reach, you know, the same pay as themselves. And we constantly hear this narrative, uh, sometimes coming from the, the government themselves who say, look, the unions agreed to this, uh, you know, sometimes coming from uh, people within the union themselves as well. So I suppose it's a question that we want to answer um, and, and to what extent, is it true uh, that that is the case uh, or is the case totally different or is the case a little bit more complicated than through them under the bus? So we want to have a, a kind of an, in, an in-depth look at that. Um, so I guess I asked Mark to come in. Uh, Mark Walsh is here. He, I asked Mark because every year, Mark, for, for, for the ASTI Union Convention, Mark produces a, an unbelievable uh, document that's pages and pages long. Within that document is usually, you know, uh, the history of of where we are and what happened. Uh, so I know you've got a huge knowledge in terms of exact dates, exact timeline, etc. What happened? Uh, so I think your information is going to be invaluable. And then we have um, Chris Davy is here, who is uh, one of the lesser paid teachers. So we want to get his perspective on everything and, and uh, as well. And um, so. Look, I suppose for to introduce it, I suppose these deals um, have been going on a long, long time. 
back to the late eighties, um, and it's usually the t- the combined unions, which would be ICTU, uh, meet with the, the the government and they decide for the next few years, I suppose, what the pay rates are going to be, what work is going to be done. And I suppose the normal way of these things happening was that they would meet, they would discuss, you know, extra work demands or extra productivity, I suppose the government call it. And then the unions would look for something in return. And usually some sort of a deal was done uh, where there was maybe a 1%, a half a percent, 2% kind of pay increase for extra productivity or in other words, extra work uh, from across the public sector. Um, so they have always been there, these kind of deals, but I suppose nobody really knows of them. They weren't, they weren't as famous. They kind of went under the radar, I suppose. And these deals really had then have come to the limelight and everybody knows the Crow Park deal, the Lansdowne Road deal, you know, um, this new building momentum deal, the PSSA. So I think everybody knows these big hitters because that's exactly what they were. They were big hitters. And, and Crow Park was, I suppose, the first one of these agreements where the, I would call it the boot was really put in that there was savage cuts uh, and savings trying to be made by the government. But they also done it with attaching a lot of work as well, rather than just, just the cuts, because they, they, they would have said we can't afford it, the financial crisis. But it wasn't just the cuts. It was an, a, a huge amount of, of extra workload. And, and, and Crow Park then was the one in, in 2010, I suppose, that I became active in, in the union um, around that time. Um, and that was eight years or nine years of teacher at that stage. Um, so I've been active in the union ever since. And the, the Crow Park one kind of really caught my attention because it was a big, massive hammer blow to, to teachers and, and so on, to the profession. Um, and that's the one that had the, the wording, I suppose. This is before the cuts uh, to the, the new entrance, because that's what they would have been at that stage in 2010 was made that the first time this Crow Park deal came out and in the wording of it where, you know, there would be a protection to pay and salaries of, and I think the word was serving teachers. Now, and that was it, full stop, onto the next line of, of the deal. And it, it was that one word, serving, that nobody really kind of, nobody really copped on what it meant. You know, people just assumed it was a teacher, you know, so if you're, if you're working in a school, you were serving. So it, it didn't, it didn't really cop on. It, it didn't say, pay would be caught of people coming behind you it didn't say pay was guaranteed only for those working now it never said that you know it just said serving teachers um and then subsequent to that um i think was when the the the, the government themselves the, the deeper the, 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 the revenue or financial sorry the, the deeper yeah um made a cut uh, to anybody coming into the profession from that point on from 2011 2009 uh, and that's when they would have been re- reduced so mark i'm going to bring you in would that be a fair reflection of the first couple of weeks of what happened yeah i mean i suppose the co-pack deal is, is is kind of a crucial one because i think it represents a turning point really you mentioned these previous agreements that um, had been done between ICTU, the irish congress of trade unions and the government and they, they were in existence since about 1987, right? Um, they first started off in 1987. And there'd been a number of them over the years, right? And generally speaking, um, like you said, they'd offered, you know, maybe a small pay increase for increased productivity. And that's the kind of way it went over the years, right? Um, but obviously when the crisis hit in, in, in 2008, uh, when the agreement that was in place at that time was suddenly scrapped. And you remember in 2009, then we got the pension levy, right? And there was, there was a big, one or two big 
public sector demos in 2009, one in the early part of the year and one towards the end of the year. And the biggest, there was a one-day public sector strike towards the end of 2009. Um, and Really, it was designed for the ICTU to get back into talks with the government, essentially, because the government had said, look, um, all this talk and all this um, social partnership thing, that's gone now, and we're not talking to you again. You just have to accept these cuts or whatever. So they had a one-day strike, and uh, they got back into talks, and the talks kind of went on from January 2010 to March 2010, and the deal came out around March 2010, I think it was. Yeah, March 2010, right? And this Crow Park Agreement, as you mentioned, it was, I mean, people couldn't believe the scale of it. Like the, the scale of what was being asked uh, at the time was just something, you know, we'd never seen before. Any of the productivity measures had been relatively minor in the past, you know, small, you know, reflective of the fact that the, the pay increases were relatively minor as well. Um, but this was like a wholesale sort of, as one activist described it at the time, a bonfire of conditions, basically trashing our conditions completely and introducing pay cuts and so on. Now, the point you mentioned about the the clauses in the Crow Park Agreement is really significant for uh, the issue of uh, unequal pay and how it all started. How, where did it all begin? That's the real question, I suppose. Yeah. And um, if you look at paragraph one, 115 of the Crow Park Agreement, right? it promised to protect existing public servants, now not just teachers now, existing public servants from further pay cuts, but it excluded new entrants, okay? And basically- It, bla it, says, it blatantly specifically says that, does it? Yeah, it said there would be no further pay cuts for quote, serving public servants, yeah. okay? So, so, you know, some people were saying that they weren't really sure of what that meant, but I mean, it was pretty clear as well that it was saying no further pay cuts for serving public servants. Mm. Well, who would there be pay cuts for? Maybe people who are not serving. Mm. So you could, you know, you could flip it over and say, well, if there's no further pay cuts for serving public servants, well, you know, they're mm. leaving at, 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 at best, they were leaving the door open to, and I think that's the argument we used at the time was that this left the door open to cuts for new entrants. Mm. As they were protecting a particular group and saying no further pay cuts for serving public servants. Well, you know, if you're not a serving public servant, then it could be pay cuts for you. So initially, I suppose that was just a clause. And sometimes these agreements have clauses that aren't actually implemented right over time. So you might have got somebody saying at the time, oh, well, you know, that doesn't really mean anything or, you know, it doesn't mean what it says it means and so on. Right. I think actually one of the quotes from that time was, um, I forget who said it now, but one of the quotes I remember here in that time, and it was somebody in one of the, the union leaderships, uh, it was that you can't future, you can't future proof a, a profession. Um, that was one of that was, so that just shows where probably the mindset may have been at at that time. Um, I remember hearing it from someone. Yeah. So, so like the exact wording was, there will be no further reductions in the pay rates of serving public servants for the lifetime of this agreement okay mm. so that was the, the that was the clause but the key word there was serving and then yeah subsequently it was actually john mcgowan on rt radio one uh, actually said that that you can't future proof the profession now this was subsequent to when the controversy blew up right you actually say that it's not it's not a secret or it's not uh, that's on the public record so 
I would argue that, and we argued at the time, that this opened the door. It didn't make the cut, but it opened the door. It left mm. the door open to new entrants being cut, right? Mm. So it didn't make the cut, but it left the door open, right? And that was June 2010, right? When that agreement, it was, it was initially signed in March 2010 by the heads of ICTU, right? The Public Services Committee of ICTU. And then it was ratified by different unions all the way along. Mm. And in June 2010, they announced, right, this agreement has been passed by the majority of unions in ICTU, yep. and therefore it takes effect. I think, now, we'll just, I think we'll just at that point, where we'll just explain that to people um, who might not know, a vast majority will know because unions have, have explained it in their literature ever since. But these deals, uh, like although at that time there may have been one or two unions who, who hadn't voted on it yet or who had rejected it, um, but once the majority of ICTU or the majority of the unions within ICTU accept the deal, then it's deemed, I suppose, to be accepted by the department. And then a lot of the stuff that's in it then is triggered. So, uh, you know, if, the, if they have to do extra work, it's triggered. If they have to, if they're, even if they were getting a pay increase, it's triggered. But in this case, obviously it wasn't. It was, it was that it could happen, that serving teachers, people who are not serving, in other words, who are coming into the profession could be caught at that point. Uh, now, at that point, the teaching unions, where did they stand? Uh, well, so that, it, it was accepted by ICTU, but where did the teaching unions stand? Yeah, well, if we, I mean, that was June 2010 when it was accepted overall by ICTU, right? But if we roll back a few months, it, 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 it so happened that when the deal was signed in March 2010, that was just before the ASTI convention in April 2010, right? And I remember being at that convention in April 2010 when we got all these booklets, you know, outlining the, the terms of the deal and so on. And I remember the, on the radio that morning, various different uh, spokespeople for the ASTI were out on the radio saying, look, well, we, we can't accept this. It has all these cuts in it and so on. And they didn't specifically mention unequal pay, but they mentioned all the other things that were clear, uh, as they thought at the time, that uh, made, made this agreement unacceptable, like the 33 corporate errors and so on, that they were obviously glaring things that we couldn't accept. And uh, I remember being at that convention. It was in Galway in 2010. And like there was a unity of purpose across the union where literally everybody who spoke on the agreement said that we should reject this agreement. There was one or two people who were who subsequently be, kind of became famous for <laughs> for the wrong reasons, maybe in relation to the 27 or 2017 um, special convention. But some people were saying maybe that was something we should look at this deal and maybe accept this, right? That was one particular high-profile member said that. But apart from him, there was... Um, Everybody else uh, was kind of, you know, almost unanimous and look, we can't accept this deal. Simple as that, right? And then we had a ballot in May that year, right? And members uh, followed the recommendation and voted two to one against accepting the deal. So we rejected the deal in May 2010 by two to one. Mm. And the turnout at the time was 50%, which wasn't, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it wasn't too bad for the turnout in general of the ASDI at the time because we were using postal ballots. Yeah. And most of the ballots, the turnout is always lower. So my view is that at that time, the ASDI and also the TUI at the time, even though all of the other unions seemed to be accepting the Copac agreement, the ASDI and the TUI at the time said, no, we're not accepting this uh, for various different reasons. We're not accepting it. So in that, in that moment, the both unions were standing up for um, new entrant teachers yeah. and were standing up against the provisions of the Crowbark Agreement, which left the door open to future 
entrance to the profession being cut. Yeah, and it was so it was rejected then by those two. But of course, then they were dragged along, I suppose, by it in terms of all the other stuff that went on at the extra SNS, the extra hours that were put in there, that all started to happen in schools, uh, even though both had, had rejected it. Well, no, I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, that's the the, the, the SNS, that came later with, with Haddington Road, but we're mm. focusing on the Crow Park at the moment where it was the 33 hours, I suppose, was the big thing. There's okay. a few other things, but there was, see, there was also a threat at the time as well that they said things like there would be a comprehensive renegotiation of the teaching contract. I mean, mm. people forget these things, but those kind of clauses were in it. And people were saying, what the hell is a comprehensive uh, mm. renegotiation of the teaching contract? What's that going to mean? I mean, that could mean anything. And people were fearing maybe like what happens in England where you have to spend the whole day in school, you can't go home if you have a free class yeah. or, you know, yeah, you no, I, I kind of remember that at the time. My, I, that was this is my term when I started going to branch meetings, uh, and, I, and I remember that kind of conversation at the time uh, going ahead around around a lot of those things. Uh, now I know a couple uh, myself because I was in the same branch as you, Mark, and you know we we kind of we, we we looked at that that serving public servants. But to be fair, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute. Even reading that now, uh, you know. You could gloss, you could, you could, you could miss that very, very easily, and I think a lot of people did miss that. It said that, you know, that even reading it here now on the screen in front of me, it's it's quite innocuous, really. You could just read through it and just think, okay, that means teachers, you know, the, the pay is going to be protected, blah blah, of serving public servants. But it's, it's written very quickly, and you know that kind of way, it, it, it kind of happens. Um, it's and, not, it's- yeah, go on, Chris. Yeah, it's not explicit, right? It's yeah, kind exactly. of it, it, it's been sneaky. It's it, it's yeah. been devilish, you know. They 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 got a bias. And I've seen now, just more recently, in terms of, um, you know, when when only a few weeks ago, when they were on the podium saying schools have been safe places, uh, uh, you know, without saying, you know, are, well, are they now? Like they, they they kind of seem to be the department use words to their advantage, and I think that's a clear example. Uh, of uh, and now I'm not making excuses at all. I voted against every single deal, and I voted for any industrial action for the entrance. So I'm not making excuses for myself or for anybody. But looking at that, looking at that, it, it's it's very you wouldn't really notice it. But and here's where the things turn, I suppose. Um, after that, um, the department did make that cut uh, on new entrance, yeah. and I, and I remember the reaction being. Uh, how did this? Why? How is this happening? We didn't vote for this. You know, we, we didn't vote again. We voted against it. How, how is all this happening? And it was at that point then I remember the documents going around with the word "serving" circled. You know, to a lot of the branch meetings, to a lot of the unions going, "This is why this happened because um, ICTU have agreed to a deal uh, that allows um, new entrants, I suppose, to any of the public sectors uh, from." Being they, they allowed them to be cut by agreeing to it. Now the teacher unions at that time, and we're more concerned with secondary here, but uh, they they at that point had still rejected the deal and hadn't agreed to it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to ask, right? Okay, even if some people didn't, you know, the argument that people didn't spot the the, the word serving, right, mm. and they and didn't understand the full implications of it. Yeah, possibly not. But I mean, surely the seasoned negotiators of the Public Services Committee of ICTU knew what they were opening the door to, you know. I don't sort of accept that they they didn't scrutinise this and they didn't really realise what 
protecting serving public servants meant as opposed to yeah. other protecting other people. So yeah. I wouldn't let them off the hook in that sense in that why would you why would you negotiate an agreement that says these kind of things? Oh, well, yeah, you know, I know what I mean is though I, I, I'm not in any way saying that you know what I'm talking about here is general membership like you know what I mean I say a lot of yeah, teachers oh yeah, yeah. a lot of teachers would have looked at even though we rejected I think yeah. to be fair it was rejected the first time on a lot of the other stuff you know what I mean yeah, the other yeah. things that were in the agreement here was in no way you can't be doing this you know uh, and not particularly on that line because I think it did bypass a lot of people now a few of us were, were saying it at the time um, and I was only saying it Mark because you pointed it out to be fair you know then it's only when that was pointed out to you that you realise what it meant but it may not have been pointed out in a lot of TUI branches a lot of ASTI branches at that time but the yeah. same with the other unions and um, you know their general membership whether they're nurses whether they're their uh, you know the technical unions or what any other unions in the public sector uh, probably didn't notice it either they just said okay yeah you know but uh, also you but also you see the i mean we, we look at the origin we're talking tonight about the origin the origin of um what opened the door to unequal pay but yeah. also in the same co-park agreement the same co-park agreement opened the door to unequal pensions which is yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And it was paragraph 117, it was just two paragraphs down. Paragraph 117 commits the unions to a new inferior pension scheme, which was actually introduced in, on the 1st of January 2013. In other words, and that is very explicit. That yeah. is very explicit in its wording. Yeah, it basically, it basically described the situation that was already happening. And people were saying, oh, well, it doesn't say that you have to agree to this. It, but it was, it, it was one of these things where by putting it in the deal it was an implicit mm. acknowledgement that this process of putting in a new pension scheme for new entrants was already in train mm. and that if you accepted the corporate agreement you were endorsing the fact that that new process was already underway mm. so in other words those two paragraphs 115 and 117 set the the framework mm. which was subsequently filled in and you went on to the point about when did the um when did the cut actually take place yeah. so let's say june 2010 the agreement is ratified by, by the majority of unions in ICTU, right? The two teacher unions, no, because the INTO voted in favour of it as well, but the two te secondary teacher unions, hmm. ASDI and TUI, had at that point rejected it, right? But the overall vast majority of unions within ICTU had accepted it. So we're at June 2010. No cuts have been made yet. All that's happened is that the door has been opened to it, right? Now, what happens then is, uh, in September 2010, right, the usual thing starts to happen, right? And it's it'll happen again probably with building momentum, right? Is that the ASTI and the TY were told, uh, look, you're going to be isolated here. All the other unions have accepted this. You really need to go back in and accept this agreement now, change your vote, reverse your vote, and so on. And in September 2010, CEC voted to go back into the discussions with the Department of Education to trash out the ins and outs of the co Park agreement with a view to putting it to ballot again, with a view to getting it accepted, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the process that started in September 2010, right? Now, the timeline is really important here, right? Because while they were in talks with the government, right, the ASTI and the TUI, from September 2010, and it went on quite a while, it essentially went on from September 2010 to January 2011, right? It, during that period, the Department of uh, Education or not the Department of Education, the government, drew up what was called the four-year plan, a national recovery plan 2011 to 2014, which was also known as the four-year plan, right? And that was drawn up in October before the arrival of the Troika, right? 
And in that four-year plan, they had the uh, intention to introduce the 10% pay cut. So they said, right, that uh, first of all, the Crow Park Agreement opened up the possibility of cutting the new entrance uh, and between March and June 2010. And once that was ratified in June 2010, they proceeded in November as part of their four-year plan for recovery and so on, the National Recovery Plan 2011 to 2014, they talked about having this 10% pay cut for new entrants and also introducing the inferior pension scheme. Right, So that mm. was part of the four-year plan. Mm. Now, it's often claimed, and this is the crucial point, it's often claimed, sometimes by people in our own union, that it was the Troika that imposed the 10% pay cut on new entrants, right? And it was the Troika that imposed the pension uh, changes, right? No, the Fianna Fáil Green government at the time had already drawn up a plan that this was to happen before the Troika arrived. Mm. And when the Troika came in, they said, oh, that looks good. Uh, yeah, that's the, kind of thing we're lo- that's the kind of thing we're looking for. And uh, the four-year plan then became part of this infamous memorandum of understanding with the Troika. So for the government, the important thing is that the government had already decided what the cuts were going to be. And uh, it's not that the Troika just kind of rubber stamped everything. I mean, they, they made demands about things yeah, well, that see, actually happened. They, but, but they may have, they may have, they may have unofficially through through other talks been on to the department while they were drawing up this plan. Do you know what I mean? Saying, look, oh, here's some of the ideas for you. Here's a menu. Go and pick from your menu. And they may have drawn it up on the basis of that. But I, I don't know. But it, the, the, well, you see, the timeline the, is still there. It's still, you well, know. Yeah, the timeline is, is there. And, and for mm. me, you see, yes, I think they may, the, the, the government at the time, the Fianna Fáil Green government at the time, may have drawn up the four-year plan in anticipation mm. of the kinds of things that the Troika would look yeah. for, right? Yeah. But that doesn't... But if we say, if, and if people say that it was the Troika, right, that did it, then it lets the government off the hook because mm. it lets everybody off the fo- hook effectively mm. because the department of it, or the, the government can just throw up the hands and say, look, well, we've no choice, lad, sorry. The, the, yeah. The Troika yeah. demanded this and we had to go with it. And the unions would say, oh, look, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't uh, ask for this. It was the Troika who said it wasn't even the government. And see, subsequently, the INTO was very fond of saying, not that it was the Troika, but that it was a government decision. Right? They mm. kept emphasizing this was a government decision to do this. And you know, there's a grain of truth in that in the sense that they didn't have to activate the clause in 115. They didn't have to use that open door to make the cut. Right. They remember the Co-Park Agreement Clause 115 opened the door to this possibility. Mm. And the government lost no time in, in, in exploiting that open door, right? As they probably intended all along. But the INTO's argument seemed to be, oh well, like they didn't have to, but they you know didn't necessarily have to do it, but they did it, and therefore it was a government decision. Mm. But they were clear, they were the INTO weren't blaming the Troika as such. And I think it's important to know that you know it's like it wasn't the Troika. It was the it was the, the four year plan drawn up by the Fianna Fáil Green government that made that decision. And then and then of course I suppose the most people listening to this would probably really just care that it came in in the Crow Park uh, agreement the possibility this would happen and then it happened mm. and then the ten percent pay cut came in um, and then of course <clears throat> there was carnage is the way I would describe it in uh, people are scrambling what's going on here blah, blah, etc and so on and then of course the deal was rejected for a second time after, subsequent to that no no this is, this, is where, this is where it changes because if the ASCI and the TUI had um, 
rejected the deal the first time, which we did mm-hmm. right, in June 2010. When we went back into talks in September 2010, the talks took the good to five months, right? And the next ballot on it was in February of 2011, right? Now, what had happened before February 2011 was that on the 1st of January 2011, the 10% pay cut for new entrants came in, mm-hmm. right? Now, you would imagine that after seeing the outworkings of these different plans, that how could the unions then say, we're just after seeing the pay cuts that they were talking about being implemented as a result of the budget in December 2010. You know, the way the budget used to be done in yeah. December instead of October. Yeah. The budget uh, put in the cut in December 2010, and then that cut took effect from the 1st of January 2011. Mm-hmm. And so when we came to vote, when the ASTI, I don't know about the TY, but when the ASTI came to vote on the deal the second time around, the Co-Park Agreement, the 10% cut had been made at that point. Yeah. So you could have argued, well, now that we've seen, it should have it should have redoubled our efforts to mm. reject the agreement. And if you remember at the time, as you said, myself and yourself were in um, the Dublin Northwest branch, and we actually tried to start a campaign at that time. Mm. That's how Fightback came about in the first place, is because our, the two of us and a few others in that mm. branch got together and said, hang on, we have to fight against this deal. We can't accept this. Mm. And unfortunately... There was others on the right of the union, as I would say, pushing for this deal to be accepted, even though they knew and even though they had just seen that the 10% cut had been implemented. Mm. So when when people argue that the union threw members under the bus, I wouldn't put it like that. I would put it that where they t- where we opposed the co-park deal initially in, in June 2010, the union then pushed for acceptance of the deal in February 2011. And that was the mistake. That's where, now you have, there's all sorts of reasons why that happened. And we can talk about that maybe. Why, why did, why did the U.S. But this is what like, I've always, I've yeah. always said, like uh, going back historically uh, at different meetings and when I was asked even in, in public about it, uh, I said, no, I don't think um, that new entrants were thrown under a bus. Uh, I genuinely don't think that. I think we rejected the deal the first time round. And, um, and then um, the cut came in. So you're, you're correct in what you I, I just I had in my head that we had a sec, we had three votes in this, but we actually only had two. And then it was accepted. But after the first time, I was always, but there, there's no excuse really, is there? The second time we were asked to vote on Crow Park. Now, I remember the time I voted against it and, and so on. But there's no, there's no real excuse there um, because it was accepted when it was put to a ballot now, and there's a couple, and you, Mark, you're rightly going to probably talk about the ifs here and, and the details of it. Um, there's a lot of people who still voted against it, uh, and it, it, it didn't win by a huge number. Uh, and in fact, I think it was only 31 or 33% turnout, um, which was down on the 50-odd percent the first time. So there was obviously a lot of uh, ballot fatigue, maybe, or the talk of the two unions being on their own, and this is not this is not it's not you can't fight this uh, because the whole of Victu have accepted it um, and I remember these are the kind of the arguments at the time and now I was making the argument that as were others that you know you just you just have to stand and you just have to fight and you just have to you have to keep going here and uh, you will get somewhere because they can't operate without schools and that's that's I know people are saying that's that seems a bit harsh you know you're always talking about closing schools you're always talking about strike action but that is really 
the only power, in my view, that the union has in that situation. Because negotiation is not going to work because ICTA has already, just, has already agreed to it. The department don't care. They're not going to want to negotiate. You're in the tent or you're out the tent. Either, either accept the deal or you don't. If you don't accept the deal, they don't even want to talk to you. Um, if you do accept the deal, they're not going to give you a deal for new entrants because the whole of ICTA have decided this is, this is okay. So for me, the negotiation route was gone. And that way, I was thinking at the time, it, it was industrial action is the only way that's going to be able to generate... Uh, anything uh, back for, for new entrants at the time. But it still is the only way, really. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think that's history's proven that, Chris. I think, you know, it's, it's just the same same story. We've still went through the same story for the last three or four different deals. Like, we're yeah. talking about stuff here that's decided in June 2010 when the most boring World Cup of all time was going on in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was absolute. Like, that's, it's yeah. madness. Like, it's yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, and but I suppose the opposite side the, the, to my argument then, and we will put it here because it's only fair. The opposite side is that um, there was a lot of pressure on, and a lot of people did believe um, that you couldn't fight this through industrial action with just one union or with just two unions, uh, and a lot of people just didn't bother voting the second time uh, around. And, you know, so there's a lot of. So can yeah. I, have, I have a question for yourself and Mark, I suppose. Like, yeah. I know you, you guys may have, and I, there's a kind of a, there's a difference, I suppose, like from my uh, activism within the union is like, okay, well, what do union activists know? And what do, you know, uh, people who are, you know, not union activists, I suppose. Mm. Um, when it came to vote the second time, did people know that they're like, how well known was it amongst the general non-activist and the non-union members or the you know your ordinary union members to put it put it nicely and um, their ordinary union member how well did they know about pay cuts uh for 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 lower pay teachers or nqts at the time because uh, the question i'd say is that those were those are brought in but there wasn't any, there wouldn't have been any nqts in the school because they wouldn't have been hired after january 2011 yeah yeah that's exactly that, that's a fair point and uh, my own view is probably not not much. I mean, I, I kind of judge it like we didn't have social media really back then. We did, but it, it wasn't a, a huge thing. But now, if you look at social media, um, you know, and, and let's not talk about the new entrance in here. Just social media about general stuff that goes on in schools. General, you know, your employment rights. General, you know, you, you know, if you're looking for a post or if you're you, you're not being given your CID, like. Anybody who goes to union meetings knows the answer to all the questions that you see on social media and mm. in terms of voice for teachers on, on all these other pages. Uh, anyone who goes to branch meetings knows the answer to all of those questions. Literally every question that comes up and who goes to branch meetings knows. Um, but it's clear that there's a huge uh, knowledge gap, I suppose, in the wider uh, membership. And that might have been even bigger back then because there was no social media. Now, the union, of course, did send out all the literature about reasons, reasons to vote yes, reasons to vote no, and all of this did go out at that time as well. So there would have been some knowledge, but to what extent people actually read those stuff, you know, and then don't vote, uh, hmm. you know, it just goes back to me, then it goes back to the importance of actually going to branch meetings, to getting involved in the union, and then you will know what's going on, you know. But again, Going back to this deal, um, I don't know the answer to that question, Chris, because I know I might live in a bubble because 
I go to branch meetings and I talk to people and most of the people in, in my school would know because I was always going on about it from coming, you know, from these branch meetings, et cetera. But to what extent that was happening in the school down the road and the school over there and the school, I, I don't know the answer to that, you know? Fair enough. Yeah, no, because it's, you know, I, I, you know, at, at the time I would have, at that particular year, I was, it was my first year of college. So, you know, I can, it, it's quite a long time ago. And, you know, it's, it's, it's over 12 years ago now, actually. No, not 12 years ago. Mass teacher can't do that. But, um, like, it's, 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 you know, it would have been something that I would have thought at the time. And it's something I actually said mm. in my own staff room. And uh, it's like, oh, you, 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 you know, jokingly maybe saying, you know, you throw me under the bus, you know, whatever. But then the more, you know, you get involved in the, moon, the union, the more you kind of stand up for yourself, the more you kind of naturally go down the rabbit hole at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, checking circulars and checking union nukes to see what the, <laughs> see what's going on. <clears throat> and, you know, my own research and my own independent research, I suppose, of, you know, reading, even stuff like reading newspaper articles, I, you know, mm. you were definitely, you know, from an LPT perspective and from an LPT who's kind of, you know, done some sort of research on it, you know, it seems like you were caught on the hop mm. and that would be my interpretation of it. And that's what I would mm. say now is that like, you know, you know, maybe do, are we expecting people to be more to doing to be doing their due diligence more? Maybe yeah, I, I would, I, I would, I suppose. Uh, am I disappointed with how it went down? Of course, you know, I'm, I'm down fifty thousand euros. I'd say if I was to estimate, you know, I was thinking about it. Like you, you know, I know we're kind of diverging a bit here, but I think like why did I get involved? The, the reason I got involved with, with, with the reason I got annoyed and pissed it was was. I remember there was one day I was like I got, something broke like I was driving I just got my first job and I moved down uh, to Wicklow and uh, something broke in my car and I was I needed brake pads actually and it was costing me 400 euros to get this fixed and I was kind of really annoyed and I was like I don't have that money to spend and I was just checking I, I, at the time there was a there was a it was the year of the junior cycle strikes right mm. So as at the time, I would have been a TUI member, actually, because I was in a TUI school. And um, I remember getting the TUI diary and seeing the two, um, seeing the two, uh, seeing the two pay scales and kind of doing the maths and saying, I, wait, I'm actually down here. I'm talking about, I can't afford 400 euros to get my car fixed. But if I was employed, you know, X years earlier, I'd be yeah. earning 5,000 euros more. Mm. And you know, at the time, I think the pay difference between the two pay scales was was eight thousand euros, and um, that year I was earning nineteen thousand euros gross, and hmm. um, was on a two was on a two uh, was on a two you know sixty six percent contract I suppose. Hmm. Uh, so for to be asking you know people straight out of job and be really grateful to have be on ninety thousand gross, is, hmm. it is gross. It's it's it's, it's unacceptable. Um, you know, 19,000 gross, 17,000 net, you know, I, people who were doing, you know, my friends of mine who were doing PhDs in Dublin were on the same money mm. and they were getting, you know, that's kind of a stipend. And, but I was, was in full-time employment and not really getting anything out of it apart from, you know, another year of service. And mm. um, so that your really, head, all you're really doing is keeping your head above water, paying totally, bills, but, but not actually surviving and your life is passing you by and you're just surviving, you know, and totally you're, well. and yeah, you're, it, you're in a, a, a good job that's supposed to be a good paying job you know it's supposed to be 
going back centuries, the pillar of the community was the school and the teachers and blah blah. You know, and this is you know, this is what gets me, Andrew. Is yeah. that like in that same predicament? Like, a, you know, the corn market person came to the to school as well, and you know, you're always told, you know, oh, teachers good pensions. Yeah. Mm. And I remember she looked at my salary and it's like, you know, Chris, you've you've you've, you've accrued 127 euros of your pension this year. I'm like, what? <clears throat> I'm like, yeah. It's like, and it's like I remember, I distinctly remember it because it was like the old hundred euro it was a hundred pounds it was like mm. 100 pounds is 127 euro i remember that and like it was like are you actually kidding me so mm. from that on like i was from that on i was actually really annoyed i was really angry and um, mm. when i moved to an asci school and uh, you know signed up to the asci straight away and uh that sub that year was the year we went on strike i think mm. uh, if i was if i was I, I could be wrong on the, the specific details but i I think that was the year that we went on strike then uh, for, for, for lower paid teachers mm. and, uh, you know, the seven day strikes were called. And that's, that's when I got involved. And that's when I started to, you know, stand like I was, I remember I was fresh in the school and I had to stand up for myself and um, stand up for myself and kind of, I said it at a, at a union meeting in the, in the school. And, you know, that wasn't a nice predicament to be in, I suppose. Mm. Um, but, Especially you know, as a new person in a new school, you looking, know, looking having, back to, at, having to put your head above the, the parapet, I suppose, and, and speak out, you know. Well, I remember at the time, and staff members, they come up to me and go, well, I wasn't, wasn't aware, you know, I wasn't aware it was that bad. Mm. Uh, and that was 2015, 2016. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it, it's one of these things, you know, I, I'm always, always trying to get LPTs to, to join not only to join the union, but to be active within the union and to start pushing for it because, yeah. you know, it's all well and good, you know, and people like yourself and, and Mark standing up for it and, and thanks for the continued efforts over it. Like, I'm not speaking for LPT, you know, like I'm just for myself. Yeah. But like, and thanks for that pushing for it from the 10 years up. But you know yourself, these things have to happen from the grassroots up. And yeah, but they do, of course. And you, need, yeah. you need, I mean, because at the end of the day, these things are all decided by balance. 100%. And me and a few others are maybe a small group of us together through various branches. We are a small group through various branches. So when it comes to a ballot, we only have one person each vote. So the vote is very small, you know. So it has to be from the ground up. It has to be uh, new entrants themselves talking to people in their staff and letting them know their situation. And But a lot of people in Ireland, I suppose, it goes back to for centuries, they're afraid to what the neighbours think. They're afraid of the person beside them think. They don't want to tell them that they're having these money troubles. They don't want to tell them that it's a struggle. They don't want yeah, I suppose just in, ingrained in it. But, you know, the only way that this is going to turn around is if people start talking and saying, look, we're not accepting this anymore. But this is but, it. Yeah. Yeah, like but, it, it... Sorry. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, right, so initially... We're going to get to that point, I presume, Chris, that you were talking about there and those seven days uh, industrial, the action that were announced, but we're going to come up to that point. But initially, so is, we're just going to recap. So for people who out there want to make up their mind, who threw who under a bus, right? I know that's the big question, right? My own view, I don't think anybody did. I think uh, people say that don't really know really positively how, how the, the, the unions operate. Uh, and then first of all, was that serving teachers kind of went unnoticed uh, but was still rejected by the TUI, but was accepted by ICTU, the, the, the greater body. Uh, and then the cut came in. And then, of course, at, at union meetings at the time, it, it was there was discussions all the time. I remember going to branch meetings, some people saying, we have to accept this, the task is too big, or the only unions run our own, we're going to get swallowed up, uh, we can't do it. And then you had the other people arguing that, 
if we can close schools, if we can put pressure on the department, put pressure on the government to not stand for this, then that will happen. But then, of course, within that, you have people who believe that was the way forward as well, but were just afraid to close schools, afraid of the lashback in the media, afraid of what people were going to say, you know, we can't do it, the public won't be with us. Um, and then ultimately then we, we campaigned. There was, there was a kind of a yes campaign, there was a no campaign within the union, I suppose, and probably within the TUI as well, I'd imagine, um, and, and the INTO even, with the, the yellow t-shirt campaign, although I think that was a little bit later, but, um, you know, and then there was a campaigns and, and it went and it went to a ballot. And yes, it was a small uh, turnout, but we can't argue with turnouts because sometimes small turnouts go your way, sometimes they go against you. You know, it's just the turnout is the turnout, it is the vote. And it was voted to accept it. Uh, and that's kind of then, everything kind of goes away then because you're, there's clauses that, you know, no industrial action under the terms of the agreement, blah, blah, and law kind of goes away. And then it comes into the next agreement. And the next agreement here was the Haddington Road. Now, we have to bear in mind when this came up, uh, it was probably two or three years after. So we, we now started to have um, people on less money uh, doing the same job in our schools by the time the Haddington Road Agreement came around. Mark, do you want to take us through some of that? Yeah, I mean, like, just to say on what yourself and Chris have just been saying there, um, like, you know, the question really is why wasn't there more opposition the second, when it came to the second ballot on Crow Park, even though people had seen the cut come in, like people had seen the cut come in on the 1st of January 2011, and the ballot took place in February 2011, so the, the next month after the cut for new entrants had come in into being and uh, why was it that um, it was such a low turnout on that I mean if people were concerned about the issue why was there only 30% and so on and I think it partly goes back to the fact that if you roll it back to September 2010 this was when all the threats were, were being um, landed on the TUI and the ASTI together saying if you don't go back into talks on this you're going to be facing compulsory redundancy and in the absolute crisis at the time people were probably scared by that and well I can't afford to be laid off or whatever mm. so this threat of compulsory redundancy was really really pushed and the usual arguments and you see it in the media now they love to isolate people so they were trying to isolate the ASTI and TUI and say look everybody else has agreed to this but of course oh yeah the TUI and the ASTI they won't agree to it you know what, what's this hardline stance what's it about they should just go along and agree with the government and mm. that's, that's just the modus operandi of the media every time we see it there recently with when the ASTI raises a concern about the, the current talks they bring out whole loads of articles you know criticizing the ASTI for even daring to raise a question so we could have expected this from the media but at the time the union seemed to really accept that this was the basically what we were facing if we didn't go back into talks. So we, and you see the talk started in September 2010 and dragged on for five months. Mm. And people probably forgot about the whole issue. And also don't forget Kieran Mulvey, who was the, I think the head of the WRC at the time, he went out on the radio in September 2010 and on the basis of the ASTI going back into talks said we'd already accepted the agreement, even though we hadn't voted on it for a second time. He deemed our re-entry into talks as an acceptance that it was almost inevitable so if, people, if you were driving to work in your car and listen to that you'd be, to this, you'd be scratching your head going jesus i didn't know the asti had accepted it i remember voting no but jesus uh seemed to be saying on the radio there that we've accepted it so you kind of forget about it and, and you don't think about it again and mm. the ballot comes around in february 2010 you're not that really you're not really connected with the union and so on it goes back to what chris was saying is that 
a lot of people are disconnected from the union. I mean, we were activists at the, we still are, we were activists at the time, all of us here are activists. Mm. But, um, like a vast, well, not a vast majority, but a, a good majority of the union is actually not active most of the time. And part of that goes back to these deals in the first place, because what started to happen from 1987 on is that members were less and less active because you were told, oh, look, leave it to us. The Irish Congress of Trade Unions and the uh, Public Services Committee of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, we'll leave it to us. We'll do the negotiations. We'll get you your little pay increase and you'll only have to give a little bit of productivity. We'll, we'll do the deal. All you have to do is just kind of rubber stamp it and, and we'll carry on. And what the unions, whether, whether the heads of the unions realised it at the time, all the activism. I mean, people don't really realize, but there used to be severe competition to even get to an ASTI convention. Like, you know, it was really, really hard to get mm. into any of the ASTI, you know, conventions to become a branch chair or mm. to get on to stand the committee. These things were really, really difficult in the past because there was such an interest in the union. But once these deals came in, in from 1987 onwards, they had this era of social partnership, which really, um, essentially made, you know, disconnected the, the, the head office like of, of the union from the rest of the membership and demobilized the membership. So when it came to a crisis, how do you mobilize if you haven't been mobilizing or if you haven't been mobilizing up to that point? Mm. And essentially what that brought in was this idea that the union is what they call service trade unionism. The union is like a, an insurance policy. You pay your money and if something goes wrong, you call in the insurance policy rather than seeing the unions as a, you know, an activist movement of people trying to fight for better paying conditions. Can you imagine the difference if you had a very active trade union at the time that the crisis happened? You know, a fighting trade union at the time that the crisis happened. Hmm. People could have mobilized and got together and said, hang on, we're not accepting this and pushed the government back and said, look, whatever the crisis is, make the cuts elsewhere, but not to us. We didn't cause this financial hmm. crisis. Your banking buddies did go to them and look for look for money off them and don't be coming to us you know if, if this if they and you see this is the thing and it's one of the reasons why i got involved in the union in the first place as well was this whole idea of previous generations of um teachers or public servants selling out future generations when i came into the public service in two, 2004 a new pension scheme started off in 2004 and i was kind of puzzled to myself what, what did people agree to to, to you know, increase the retirement age from 60 to 65 or from 55 to 65, how did they agree to go along with that? And then when you get into it, you discover all these things that happen, these deals, these uh, threats and you know, all that kind of stuff that goes with it and really a failure of the union in an organized way uh, across the union to fight back against it. And once, and, and the, see the big problem, why you keep going back to the corporate deal, even though you wanted to go on to the, the um, the having to roll which was the next one was because we had always argued at the time if you accept the first cut and the first cut was the pension levy that was accepted it wasn't existed they would take that as a signal that the trade union movement were up for more cuts and they would come back again and again and again and again to the well which is exactly what they did and even before the having to roll agreement came into being which was from 2013 onwards in 2012 the uh, Brendan Howland, who was Minister for Finance at, or Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform at the time, he um, froze allowances for new beneficiaries the very next year. So on the 1st of January 2011, you had the 10% pay cut. But Fine Gael and Labour came into government then in, in 2011, later that year, 
and it, it, it took them barely a year to bring in their own cuts for new entrants, which was from the 1st of February 2012, they said that there was going to be a pause or a freeze of allowances for new beneficiaries. Now, that included everybody, included people who would have wanted to get a, an extra benefit for their masters. Maybe you probably missed out on it, Andrew, yourself, uh, because that, that had been cut at the time, right? And anybody who wanted to do a PhD, the allowance was gone for that. So any new beneficiaries, whether they were new entrants or not, any new allowances were not going to be granted. And what happened was, again, that the convention that year in 2013, there was a threat that um, if the allowances were cut for serving teachers, that the ASTI would pull out of the co-park agreement at that time, right? But what happened, but it didn't seem to matter that the, the allowances were being cut for uh, new entrants at the time. Because when in September 2012, uh, Howland made good on his threat and actually permanently cut the allowances for new entrants. And right? actually, that's, that's the thing now yeah. that's proven key, I suppose, in the difference between the pay scales yeah. for secondary teachers at the moment. Yeah. That goes back to 2013. Yeah, but I do yeah. want to say, I'm just conscious that it's mm. we're at 40 minutes now, right? Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to, we do have a, we have a bit to get through, but in, in many sense, we don't, because when we get to, to Haddington Road and we get to PSSA and we get to build a momentum, you're going to see, and I think some of the, the members of the different trade unions, the TUI or the ASTI, because the secondary school podcast, um, will be listening to this. And now some of this, they mightn't be familiar with the early times and what happened and the to and fro and the arguments at branch meetings, the arguments at conventions, the, the, obviously the debate around the ballots and then the ballot being rejected the first time and then being accepted the second time. Now, when we're talking about that, some of the arguments that we're talking about, they would be very familiar with because you will be hearing them now in terms of the building momentum. You would have heard them on the PSSA. So in many ways, we don't have a lot more to discuss when it gets to those deals because the arguments, again, were very, very similar. And it just has to be said that I think the unions, again, secondary school unions rejected the Haddington Road first time round got battered again with the, the new FEMPI legislation came in, of course, which was even worse than initially. Uh, and then, uh, again, had effects on people's, uh, whether they were going to get CIDs and the voluntary redundancy uh, thing and so on. And it wasn't even going to be voluntary anymore. It was just going to be effectively made redundant. Uh, and so all these threats built up for the, again, but it has to be said again, and I'm playing the devil that, devil's advocate here because i'm obviously the host but you know they were rejected again by members the first time and on a high turnout usually the highest turnout then the next vote again turn out way down and eventually the deal gets accepted now this time i know the asti in terms of the haddington road we had a lot of industrial action around this um around this time and uh, to try and combat uh, or to try and get back to the entrance bay uh, and then of course, we got to the PSSA then, um, and again, we rejected it. And this time, never signed up to it, uh, never actually voted in favour of that deal. Um, and now we're at the building momentum deal, and we've rejected that as well. And we're waiting on the outcome of the, the TUI ballot, I presume, because they recommended rejection and be rejected as well. But so there, that's the kind of the, the, the very loose structure or the, the scaffolding, yeah. if you like, on, on what's going on. So if you want to fill in some gaps. In part two, we fill in those gaps and look at what happened to Equal Pay Campaign 
in the subsequent pay deals in the Haddington Road lands another agreement to PSSA and building momentum and through this conversation I suppose it takes us on a journey looking at the possible the accusation I suppose of the, of the mixing of different issues in terms of industrial action uh, that they were fighting on too many fronts union apathy uh, so we address all of these issues uh, and look at the journey that the, un, uh, the, the equal pay campaign has taken since those early uh, days uh, or, or weeks I suppose um, when it first came into being being. and of course where do we go from here to get that episode please do subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts follow us on the facebook page inside our schools podcast you can also email us on inside our schools podcast at gmail.com if you want to get involved if you want to come on the show if you want to have your voice heard um on this show then please do email us um, and we do welcome all views across the trade union movement i suppose the secondary teachers trade union movement I am currently working on a website, uh, insiderschools.ie, where we can not only have the podcast, but also have blogs uh, and guest blogs from all things teacher related. So again, thank you very, very much for listening.